Okay, let's turn to our Bibles. I want to talk about something that every Christian, if you're going to be a Christian, has got to learn. And if you don't learn this, you'll never be a Christian. And that is you've got to learn about separation. Because to become a Christian and to walk on with the Lord, you will be forced to separate. I know when I came to the Lord, I was some um, Anglican before I came to the Lord, and that was all okay. I had no flack, no persecution, totally acceptable. Later on, uh, I even went to a Billy Graham crusade and became a Baptist. Still no problems, no problem with the rallies. All the kids at school accepted me. Why? Because I never changed. From Monday to Saturday, I was still the same person, still swore. Sunday, if they'd seen me, I was a good little boy, then I had a little halo on Sunday. But, um, and then I became a born-again Christian, and I had to learn about separation. Not because I might wanted to be separate, but I was forced to be separate. I had three friends who gave me an ultimatum. You either stop talking about this new thing you're in, or the friendship's over. You got to, you know, they made me make a decision. And um, so really, as I said, to be a Christian, I don't think there's anybody here today that is a born-again Christian walking on with the Lord that hasn't had to learn about separation from friends, from family, from workmates, on our children, children going to school right now, they have to learn about separation. They want to be accepted with the other kids to find out if they want to be a real born-again Christian, particularly when they're spirit-filled, they're going to have to make a stand. They can't just be like the other kids. They can't be totally acceptable. They realise that that's hard, particularly on the kids. It's really hard to make that stand. They're going to st- the old saying, they're going to stand out in the crowd. And the other kids often not even understanding what they're doing, so they give you a bit of flack, and uh, you're making, you've got to make that choice. Let's start off today in the Old Testament in um, Leviticus chapter 15. Just one verse. In the middle of the law, the, chap- the book of Leviticus, is all about the Old Testament law, one after the other. And one little statement here in verse 31 of Leviticus 16 says, Thus shall ye separate the children of Israel from all their uncleanness, that they die not in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. So immediately we see for people of the Lord, there's even, without being separated from people, you're, you're separated from your old way of life. Where we talk about being born again, you leave your old life behind, you burn your bridges, you now live a testimony. Other people are watching you, particularly once they know you're a Christian. They are watching you like a hawk. Find out if you do anything or say anything wrong, and they will pick you up, even if it's not wrong, they'll pick you up what they think. So here it says, they need to be separated from uncleanness. In our particular case, we're washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and we become a new creature. We're separated from whatever we did before we came to the Lord. And when people are coming to the Lord, <clears throat> that is a hard decision to make. You've got all the things you used to be involved in. You used to uh, maybe smoke, drink, maybe swear like I did, um, and you have other things in your life. It might be the old church. Something there that is just not going to fit in with you walking the Lord. And you're going to make a, a decision to move away from it, particularly what this verse is talking about, and that is the world of sin, and the, living a life of sin. And uh, we then find out that we get changed. And as I said, the moment I got born again, on March the 7th, nearly 60 years ago, 
um, I then stood out and, and realised that it wasn't the same. I couldn't quite do. I actually did have a problem with swearing. I knew it didn't fit in with a new life. I had a bit of a problem. I think I've given that testimony before. Well, the trouble with me was I owned a Bantam motorbike. If anybody's ever owned a Bantam motorbike, they never start. And you're forever kicking and kicking. No, no electric start in those days. And I used to talk to it <laughs> when it wouldn't start. I got rid of the motorbike and I gave up swearing. So there you are. Let's have a look in um, Leviticus chapter 20. And here it says, and we're going to go to verse 24. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land when the children of Israel are going into the promised land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. I have separated you from other people. That has not changed. That is very much the case in being a Christian. You're automatically separated. I was talking to the school children a minute ago and what they go through. It's hard to believe this, but when I came to look, I was a school child. I was still going to school. And I uh, only did it for one term, uh, just after I came to the... In actual fact, in the term when I received the Holy Spirit on March the 7th, 1960. And that, and that contrast was there. They're just the, I just knew that I, I just wasn't the same as the other kids more than ever. When I was in Goody Tech, the year before, I had lots of friends, I was a friendly person, lots of mates and played sports, everything totally acceptable. When I joined this new school, first of all, I didn't fit in greatly anyhow, but when I received the Holy Spirit, there was just this gulf that, that developed. Was I worried about it? Not for one second, by the way. I, never, I was never tempted to try and sort of get in with the other kids. And in that term, I left at the end of the term, but in that term, I actually never made one single friend. And a lot of it was that I was walking with the Lord and I just didn't fit. So the Lord said here to the children of Israel, I have separated you from other people. So that's a bit hard to get when you first come to the Lord. You sort of get separated from maybe your best friend, I was. My second best friend, and I was. And my third best friend, not that he was much of a friend, the lad I got to know at the Baptist church, separated completely. They made me make a stand. You either drop this or not. But as I said, it didn't bother me. I'd found this great family of God. And really, when you got the right attitude, the separation is not a problem. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Still talking about the children of Israel here. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just start in verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, and goes through all these different people, ites, all ending with ites, even seven nations greater and mightier than thou, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them, neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughter thou shalt not give unto, the, unto his son, son, and his daughter shalt thou not give unto thy son, his daughter. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and to destroy you suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their, their, their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. 
above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for, he, for you were the fewest of all people, because the Lord loved you. And so it goes on. So that hasn't really changed. We're not talking about land and possessions and killing people and driving people out and, and that. But the same principle applies in our life. That we have connections. We have people that would go back to the school children. Oh, they want you to go to this event, maybe at the end of the year. And you're aware of the fact that it's going to be pretty worldly. But you still want to go. And you go to mum and dad and say, look, I want to go to that. And mum and dad, naughty old mum and dad said, no, that's not where we want you to go because that's not going to be a good place. And you get a bit upset about that. But when you get the vision, you get baptised in the Spirit, you don't even need to ask because you know that you're not going to fit in with that. That you're, you are different. And don't ever be ashamed that you're different. Nothing to be ashamed of. Rejoice in it, the Bible says, when people speak evil on you. Rejoice in it. It's a great day when they say nasty things about you and separate you. I guess what though? When they're in trouble one day, who do they turn to? Do they turn to their mates? No, they come to you because they know you've got something. Even though they might have even persecuted you a little bit, they'll come to you because you've made a stand and they realise that you've got something they haven't got. Genesis 37. Sometimes God, moving in our life, even if we're not too sure we want it, makes us different and makes us separate. In Genesis 37, verse 1, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock of his brethren, his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, or concubines. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Um, so, how to get, how to fall out with your brothers? Squeal on them. So there were 12 brothers and four of them, a third of them, happened to be the, the actual sons of the two handmaidens. I almost wonder if they didn't have it a bit harder than the other eight. Because the other, the others were, were children of the actual wives, Leah and Rachel. So they maybe got flack from the brothers. We don't know. But here we see they're sort of hanging together and they're talking evil about their father, who was a very godly man. And Joseph overheard them. He was second to youngest. He overheard them and he went and squealed on them to dad. You're in big trouble now with your brothers, aren't you? Even though what you've done is good. Now Israel loved uh, Joseph more than all his children. Now there's another way to cause trouble. Pick up one of the kids and say you love them more than the others. You've got trouble straight away. So uh, some of this came on Joseph without uh, his say, you might say. Because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colours, a very famous part of the story. And when his brethren or brothers saw that his, their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, in all his innocence, he relayed the dream. This dream which I have dreamed, for behold, 
we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance or bowed to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Simple answer was, yes. Read the rest of the book, read the end of the story. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. He dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. He could have thought, last time I told the dream, they didn't like me. I've had another dream, blood if I'm going to tell them, uh, the less they're going to like me. But no, he told the story. And he told his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said, What, is this um, uh, dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and, my, and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And the brethren envied him, but his father observed or remembered the saying. So as I said, sometimes in your walk in the Lord, it's almost like you've got no say in it, where the Lord's blessing is in your life. And maybe particularly think about your immediate family when you come. And they are like the family here, sort of having a reaction, a big-time reaction to your holiness. Not that you're actually saying to them you're holy, but that's how they see it. You're making a difference. And of course, I immediately get upset because it puts them in a bad light. It, it indicates, and sometimes in our very innocence, like Joseph, we tell them, unless you repent, get baptized, you're going to burn. So uh, we wonder why we get a reaction from the rest of the family. It might be true, but uh, so as I said, sometimes just by coming to the Lord, by just being a testimony, you immediately cause that division. I little part of my testimony is my father said to me once, when I came to the Lord, I said, I, I had a problem with swearing, but really you couldn't pick on much else. I love sport. If that's evil, I don't know. I don't think it was. And I was a conscientious student and blah, 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 blowing my own bag or whatever the saying is. Um, so when I came to the Lord, other than the swearing, I didn't think there was anything that stood out much. And my father said to me, he'd come to the Lord, praise the Lord. And he said to me a couple of months later, he said, I'm amazed at how much you've changed. What, what did I do? I didn't, I didn't, you don't realize it even sometimes. You don't even know it. You're just walking with the Lord. And that's the thing that is the testimony, I suppose. First Samuel in chapter 16. Look at another famous person in the Bible. Again, forced upon him, you might almost say. 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn uh, for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? And he worried about what Samuel would do. Um, but he did what the Lord said in verse 5. Peaceably I am come to, to sacrifice under the Lord to sanctify thy servant. Come down to verse 6. Came to pass, so when they were come, well, in the end of verse 5, he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And came to pass, well, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said unto Samuel, 
Look not on his conscience, countenance, sorry, and on the height of his stature, because I have re- refused him or rejected him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. They just jump to verse 22 of the next chapter when he runs into the battle against Goliath. Very famous story. In verse 22 of chapter 17, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of, of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brothers. I almost sort of feel that his great excitement and enthusiasm was enough, enough to upset his brothers. They were terrified along with everybody else, including the king, of this man Goliath. They actually wouldn't want to openly admit it, but nobody was prepared to take up the challenge. And this young lad, maybe 17, 18 years old, we don't know exactly how old, rushing in full of enthusiasm and let's, you know, I want to be here sort of thing. Um, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, spake according to the, to the same words, and David heard them. Verse 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were so afraid. So who ran away? His three brothers that were there, all, all, all the older brothers. I don't know if the king was actually there, but he said he maybe would have joined them. Once they all fled away, they all ran away. All the strength of Israel fled away. And the men of Israel said... Um, have you seen this man that has come up surely to defy Israel? Is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter, make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men uh, that stood by him, saying, "Is this kid talking to these great soldiers with all their armour on. He mostly had nothing on but a very flimsy rig out that you, you wear when you're a shepherd. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So this incredible... You know, back in the prophecy of... of, of which we believe was David, the descendants of, of Judah, there were, amongst their king, it said, there would be a shout in the tribe of Judah. This is the shout. This is the one I was talking about talking about David becoming the great king and he literally was shouting that day and the people answered him after the same manner saying so shall be done to the men who killeth him now we can see why Eliab was rejected and Eliab his elder brother heard when he spake unto the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said why camest thou down hither with whom hast thou left a few sheep in the wilderness I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Older brother to younger brother, youngest brother, maybe it said words like that many times. And maybe, by the way, many times it might, could have been the case. I reckon David was a bit of a lively person, and maybe now and again he needed a good telling off, I don't know. But on this occasion, and he's talking about this occasion, that so-called advice was, or that judgment was incorrect. And uh, when Eliab tall, magnificent-looking guy that that, um, Samuel saw. Inside, though, there was a weakness. David was maybe not as big and magnificent as his elder brother, even though he was okay. He had the heart of a lion. And he'd even killed a lion on one occasion with his bare hands. And it's interesting what it says here. 
in verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? I like the way he says that. But he said, is there not a cause? Another way of saying that is, you guys are not standing up against him. You're all running away. There's, there's something's got to be done here. Well, what I like in verse 30 is that he turned from him toward another. He separated himself from his brother, from his brother's doubt and from his brother's questioning, from the bad journey. He turned away. And you're walking the Lord now and again. You've got to turn away. Particularly when somebody wants to put you down because you're a Christian or whatever. Make a statement, but don't be sucked in by that. Don't get drawn into it. Don't be, feel that you've done something wrong. Like he was trying to make David feel like he'd done something wrong. He said, there's a cause here today. And he turned away from his brother and turned to the other. And of course, there's that great victory when he killed Goliath. Interesting, the two stories, they're very similar. Joseph and David both fell out with their, with their brothers. Both their brothers came to hate them. And the other miraculous thing is, towards many years later, the brothers reconciled and revered them. Case of Joseph, well-known story, come down with their father Jacob into the land of Egypt and eventually realised that Joseph, now second to Pharaoh only, was um, the one and they submitted themselves and it says with Jacob, with David, that when he fled into the wilderness, when Saul was trying to kill him, it says his brethren joined him. doesn't understand any more than that. But Eliab and the others must have realised this man is chosen of God. Even though he's our youngest brother, that takes... Uh, a prick of your pride, you know, you've got to be humble yourself. But in both cases, the brothers were subject. Um, Matthew chapter 4. Finally, get to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway, or immediately, that means, left their nets and they followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately, or straightly, this is a very straightway, left the ship and their father, and they followed him. What I like about this is there's a double whammy here. One is your whole life as a fisherman, the other is family. So here we see these four, or a whole third of the twelve apostles called on this occasion. Luke chapter 5, I think, gives a lot more detail on, on, the, on this great day. But enough to say, on this occasion, they got called, they recognised who Jesus was, not fully knowing where they were going, but it says they left Zebedee in the boat. So there was Dad, and they walked away with Jesus. They made a choice of separation. That's what they made a choice. Separate from their old way of life and separate even from the family. Not that uh, Zebedee, in, in, in a sense, was bad. We certainly know Mrs. Zebedee wasn't a bad person. She was one of the ladies that later on uh, sort of followed Jesus and on one occasion got the, uh, the two of them into trouble because two of her sons, because uh, she wanted them to sit one on the right hand and one on the left hand of Jesus, you know. So uh, let's have a look in chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. There's a bit of a hard scripture to handle, this one. When we're witnessing to people, and we do, of course you do, 
You want to make Christianity sound fantastic. Everything's going to be great. Come become a Christian. You know, you're almost like you'll never have any more problems and, and we almost sort of want to paint that picture. How do we describe a meeting? Come to the meeting, you know, it's good, happy singing, clapping. People are very hospitable and you'll hear this and that and the gifts and we paint the picture, don't we, of how good it all is. Well, sometimes we should maybe warn people a little bit. By the way, all your friends will hate you. Rallies will dump you. You'll, you'll actually get no more promotion at work and so you could go on. But we don't do that. I dare say we don't want to put people off. Jesus didn't seem to mind. He wanted to warn us maybe what it's like to be a Christian. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Just read the book of Acts, all that happens. For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought for what you shall speak, for it will be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. Um, how much more have I got written there? Verse 23 I went up to. Um, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaketh in you. And then it says, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and, and cause them to be put to death, and ye shall be hated. Susan, my margin, thought less. Maybe hate's a pretty strong word, and sometimes it does get to that level. It says here, thought less of. Of all men, for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So that is the story. And for many of us, it all varies with each one of us. We had various times we've gone through things like this. He's not here today, but I'll talk about James. James, as we all met him, his young brother in the Lord, he's really caught the vision. Don't tell him that I talked about him. I know you all will now. But when he came to the Lord, he just jumped a little bit to the beginning of his testimony. He uh, came down to our Christmas camp, only been in the Lord a matter of days the end of 1917. And even a matter of days, he came to our Christmas camp, Brother Jed was one who witnessed to him, and Brother Jed said to him uh, when he was going up on New Year's Eve to be with his dad up in York's Peninsula, he said, look, when you come into camp, that's a, a, an interesting experience of leaving the world and then coming into this haven. And then he said, but when you leave camp and go back, into, that's another experience altogether. So that's about what you're going to go through. And when he got back up home, as he walked into the shack up on York Peninsula where his dad was, his dad handed him a bottle of beer and James immediately said, look, I've told you, Dad, I don't drink anymore. And his dad blew his stack. I might not have this story exactly accurate, but it's something like this. His dad said, give me your car keys. Give me your wife. He said, no, you've got to make a choice between the family or this church. Well, you, know what Jed, you know what James said? He said it was easy, actually which didn't help. And then he said, give me your car keys, give me your wallet, because only a schoolboy at that point, just left school, and give me your telephone, which all belonged to Dad. And then he said, get out. So he got out, and he started walking back to camp. I'm going to watch the emotion here. Yeah? I'll have a drink to calm myself down. So he starts walking, kilometre after kilometre. He's out in the donga somewhere, and this lady pulls up alongside and said, 
what are you doing? Just this lad walking out in the dongo. What, what's happening here? So he told her the story. She said, what, what, what do you want? He said, can I borrow your telephone? So he rang his mum. Now his mum and his dad had been split up for many years. So it wasn't that sort of altercation was quite common. So he rang the mum. Mum rang the dad and told him off severely. And the lady then drove James back to the dad. And by the time he got back, he'd been told off by his new girlfriend. Girlfriend, by the way, they're in their 50s. And she was a Catholic lady, uh, Italian. And she was saying to him, you cannot kick out family. Family is important, you know. And I take off the Italian accent. I just get it all wrong. And um, so he'd been really severely told off. So when he got back, he gave James, gave James the uh, car keys, gave him his wallet, and gave him uh, the other thing. He took his phone. And now he said, you've got to make the same choice. And James said, right, see ya. He drove back to camp. He got back after midnight, knocked up Jed and Briar, and New Year's Eve he gave his testimony. But that's called making a stand. Difficult for just a young 18-year-old lad. But he got that vision in a natural fact. He got the vision that they got out of that tank. You want to get the full testimony of James from Jed? He gave it to me the other day. I questioned him a lot about it. And Jed said, nobody appreciates the testimony of James more than I do. I knew what he was like that year when he came to Jed often for counselling. And when he got out of that baptism tank, he was a new person, as you've all met. So this is becoming a Christian. You have to make, and sometimes not as dramatic as what James has been through. And he's gone on ever since. He's sort of reconciled with mum and dad along the line, but he still makes that stand. You should never boast about people because... You know, you shouldn't. All right. Pastor John will tell me off again. He says, you're making too much of James. You're going you're gonna to burn out or something. Like that. Well, hopefully not. Have a look at chapter 13. Well-known passage in the Bible. Matthew 13. We know it. The, the parable of the sower and the seed. We just pick it up in verse 3. Behold, a sower went forth to sow... And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the way, sowed, and fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no earth or um, uh, deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and they, and because they had no root, they were withered. And there are a lot of points in here, but I just want to stick with that particular one. And just the explanation in verse 19, where he said, and anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon or immediately with great joy receiveth it, yet hath not no root in himself, and then it gives the list, but it injureth as who would say for a time. For when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, by and by he is offended. So there's four groups here. and I, The first one is pretty simple. Nothing ever happens. And unfortunately, it's the vast majority of people you witness to. There's no response at all. Talking to a brick wall. You might as well go and talk to that wall over there. The, the, the moment you start talking, their eyes glaze over. They're not listening. They don't want to know. Don't ever talk to me about that again. And all that sort of thing. And the seed never goes anywhere, it never germinates. The devil snatches it out. And that, as I said, the vast majority of people hear the gospel. 
But the next group are the ones who come to the Lord, but they do not endure. Why? Because they can't understand or comprehend or love separation. They cannot handle the separation. The rallies have won the day. The school friends have won the day. The workmates have won the day. Their own doubts, maybe even, have won the day. Great when they leave here, get out of the baptism thing, baptise, spirit filled, walk out the door. Everything's great. When we started um, follow-up many, many years ago when we were in the Vogue Theatre, was because we were having a huge revival at the time, the end of the 70s, early 80s. It was very hard to keep up with, with it all. And we developed a thing called follow-up. What we realised is that we, next Sunday comes and the new person doesn't turn up. We think, oh, we've lost them today. No, you didn't. You lost them on Monday. You didn't lose them seven days later. They went home that night with their hair wet and wanted to tell everybody how great it was. They went to school or worked the next day and by tea time, they're out. They're gone. Unless, hopefully, we can come and prop them up a little bit to get them through that difficult stage. But just saying here that that's how there's no depth, there's no root, there's nothing to hold them in, and that's why separation is so vitally important and realise that it's not a bad thing, it's not a down thing, it's not a thing to be ashamed of. If you can make a stand, even sometimes you might make it really weakly, we just hang in by the thread and you're upset by what people have said and, and all that, but you hang in there, eventually you'll rejoice that you made that stand. And don't let people that have got no idea what you've got talk you out of it. Because nearly all persecution comes from people that have no idea what they're talking about. A lot of it is because you put them in the dark. By you having a shining light and coming in full of joy and the light of the Lord, that puts them in the dark. They don't want to get baptised and you're talking about water baptism. They don't want to speak in tongues. They actually don't like speaking in tongues if they've heard of it and so on. So don't get put down by people that don't understand it. Again, talking to children, you know, that... Um, when you're at school and your mates start to give you a bit of a hard time, rejoice that you're counted worthy to make a stand for the Lord. Not a bad day, that is a great day. And in the long run, you might not realise it at the time, your friends, your schoolmates will come to really value you, that you're a person that makes a stand, that you're a person of strength and of character. And they must realise it's hard, all the other, all the other uh, rejecting what you're saying and talking behind your back or whatever, even into your face, that you make a stand. Separation has got to be there. If you're going to be a Christian, you cannot run with the wolves and hunt with the hounds, whatever the saying is. You can't be in, well, foot in both camps. You've got to be with the Lord, making a stand. You're with God's people or you're not with God's people. And the more you make that stand, the better it is. Um, Second Corinthians, how could you give a talk like this without quoting Second Corinthians chapter 6? Because it says it all. One of the hardest things to sort of come to grips with is what Brother Ken brought out in his testimony, and that's the word compromise and taking the easy way out. Now he went along to some other group and when he tried to quote the word of God they just said, and we heard it so many times, oh you don't need to do that. Oh that's not important. You know, if you've just given your heart to Jesus and you believe, you're saved. Forever playing it down. And that's appealing. You think, oh, oh I like that. 
I can still really go on being the same person I am and go to church on Sunday. I can confess my sins on Sunday and the rest of the week I just do exactly what I used to do. And this water baptism thing, wow, that's a bit of a commitment. don't know if I want to quite commit that much. I don't like this speaking tongue. We'll leave that out of it and go on and on and on. You take the easy road out. Does anyone trouble with that? You're not saved. You're sort of in the world of Christendom, going to church, maybe singing the big big churches with lots of singing. It's all very nice, entertaining. But you haven't done what the Lord said, and that's what you should be there for. That's the thing that matters, preaching the truth. But here in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6 and verse 14, and B, this is of course to the Corinthian people who were mainly a Greek church, if not 100% a Greek church, and uh, a revival caused by the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and I'm sure Silas is in there somewhere too, and uh, giving them lots of advice. I've said this before, I love the Corinthian church. You know why I love the Corinthian church? Because it was in such a mess. I love the Corinthian church because it was in such a mess. And Paul wrote to them and said, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. How would we know about the spiritual gifts if the church at Corinth had made a mess of them? He wrote to tell them how to operate the spiritual gifts, how, how not to have a communion service like a feast. You go on and on, you talk about immorality in the church. They had lots of problems, the Corinthian church, and um, we got what Paul said, and we know now know what's right and what's wrong. I'll start reading again, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord is Christ with Belial? And of what part he that believeth with the infidel or an unbeliever or disbeliever? I think there's a difference between unbeliever. You just can't believe a disbeliever. I'm not going to believe. I don't want to believe. I'm not sure if that's right though. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them. Oh, here's this word again. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. Saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Um. So, what about friends in the world? Do we have friends in the world? To a, certain, to a certain level, you do. You want to get on with people. Working with people. We have a situation where our neighbours are very good neighbours. Actually, the most wonderful neighbours you could ever wish for. You could almost say they're neighbours from heaven. Except they don't believe in heaven. And many times told Helen off in particular for witnessing to them. But they're really great people and they're on our pay employee these days. And you've got to try and get that balance where you still make a stand. And maybe about the one big thing I'd like to... You've got a confusion of, over this. Sort of maybe thinking you're getting a bit too close to these people. Or There's a difference between friendship and fellowship. We don't have fellowship with people that are not saved. That's for people that are born again. We have fellowship. We can be friendly. But even there, you know, there's always now and again there's going to be a bit of a clash. There's going to be something that just doesn't quite, you know, add up. And uh, they know the difference, by the way. If you really make a stand for they know the difference. They'll even apologise for swearing in front of you. 
and so on. They know that there is a standard, they don't quite understand it. We might have witnessed them and so on. So you've got to get that balance. I'm not saying you get it perfectly right, but do remember the difference there. You can be friendly and have a friendship-type relationship, but there's no such thing as fellowship because that's in the Holy Spirit and all the people's sins.